am so excited about this show. I'm sorry, I really am because like I'm autistic and and uh, well, I think a lot of us probably are. <laughs> I know Davey's excited too. Davey, you're 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 excited, right? You guys did a, an amazing little special segment for us this time. Yes, I'm very excited for this episode. We do have a sketch ready to go. We we both have sketches ready to go. Uh, yes, we, we got a we have a fun quiz for Eric. I pulled from his background a little bit for a fun quiz this week, and uh, this is not Fair the first enough. time I've heard you and Eric have a conversation. I, <laughs> I may have edited a podcast I was telling Eric for a, <laughs> for a different show, so I I can guarantee the peculiars they're in for a treat this week. That's right. No, we're really excited, and um, I, I I'm also I'm seeing tons of people. We've got so many people here as well as we've got some newbies. This is Samantha Fox's first show. She's very excited. People are saying. Welcome to Samantha. Um, some of you noted that Bart now has a purr in the video, which is exciting. <laughs> um, Tori loves the opening too. Thank you, Tori. Uh, got lots and lots of people here. I actually was trying to, it's always hard. You guys put in the, uh, you guys are here early. We've got some people from Ogden, Utah. Jennifer Pierce is here from uh, Minnesota. We've got Leanne and I see Mike. I like how I'm looking in, I'm looking in the audience. Mike, are you I'm here? We've got Kathleen from Toronto. I was on the other tab and it was telling me we had 50 comments like I needed to go back and look at. So you peculiars are ready to go tonight. You are ready. And we also have Judy. Judy hasn't been with us in a little while. So it's nice to see Judy back. I know we've got a couple of different people um, online and everyone's here and excited and, and waving as it turns out. Just so we can welcome our guest tonight, which is Eric Garcia. Yay! <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. That is awesome. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Hey, Eric. Welcome to the show. Hey, dude. How are you doing? So good to have you on. Hey, all the peculiars. Everybody's so excited. We've got we've got lots of people on tonight. Everybody has lots to say. There's so much to talk about with your book. Um, Jill Abrams is here as well for the first time. She's actually from the UK. She's across the yeah. pond and she's up awake, even though it's midnight. Um, oh my and, goodness. Uh, I know we have Silvery Blue Queen, which I know is Becky. So she's going to be making her debut uh, tonight. Uh, we have oh, it's midnight in, in Scotland as well. The history kind would like us to remember that that's uh, it's quite late there. We appreciate I know. the UK it's listeners. <laughs> Everybody across the pond, we appreciate. Yes, we do. And I, I'm so sorry that I missed you all last week uh, or last time we had our show. But Davey did a brilliant and amazing job. Um, I also want to quickly introduce our cocktail. So it's. It's blue. And um, basically, when Kat said she was going to call it the Neurofabulous cocktail, I was like, no more voting. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic Neurofabulous cocktail. So that is the name of this particular cocktail. I hope, cheers to all of you. You guys can like go ahead and pop into the comments things that you might be drinking, either uh, your takes on the recipe, or it looks like you've got some really, really sketchy drink going on there, Eric. What is that? <laughs> It's just water. I'm not drinking. No, it's vodka. Um, no, my, 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 so. Well, and, and well, and Leanne's got her licorice tea going on uh, right now as well. Um, and, and the fun thing is, of course, oh, straight tequila says Rebecca. Oh, neurofabulous. That's what it. Yeah, neurofabulous. Um, so good. And Amanda Johnson's back on as well, having a hazy pale ale and pining for fall. Um, 
basically, uh, we also do a mocktail and, and, and Kat's great about creating these really, really fabulous mocktails. She's our, our drinks maven. We actually have a lot of mavens on the show now who, these are our volunteers who help us out. Jennifer Pierce runs our Goodreads. Amberly does our discord. And we're even talking about maybe having a discord, uh, after party after some of the shows. So that's something we're kind of looking at for the future. So don't forget that we have all of these other platforms too, that are available on our website, but, um, Oh, we've got some we've got some thank yous to Davey for for doing right. a great job. Thank you, Susan. Yeah. We did Fair a fun enough. episode. We missed you, but we had a fun episode. Yeah. It sounded really good. I I was kind of um I was airport ridden and things were things were not going super great with the whole connectivity thing. Um but we, you know, we, we, yes, we do have a Discord. <laughs> we do, we do. It's if you go up to our website, uh, peculiarbookclub.com, you'll see all of. There's like if you scroll down, there's all the little social media buttons, and there's tons of them at the moment. Um, so yes, oh, Samantha's having an Odell's Mountain Standard IPA, y'all, with the IPAs. Ooh. <laughs> oh, I hear a doggy. Is that your pup? That uh, might be Kenobi hanging out. I my mic until he calms down. He's been on the show a couple times as well. Um, so just to get us started, uh, here's how this works. You guys can put the comment or your questions in the comments. So if you're new here, you just type them into the comment bar. And then as you can see, I can pull them over so we can all read them. That way, people who listen to the podcast can get them as well. But while those are queuing up, please, please go ahead and start adding them. I always start off with a kind of simple question, which is, how did you begin to get the idea of writing a book? Because I know you and I are both autistic. We yes. have a lot of things in common, but like, when did it become, I need to write a book about that? Uh, so this is a good question. You have to go all the way back to 2015. This was, I was at a party with uh, a guy by the name of Tim Mack, uh, who works at NPR at the time. And then he offered me a drink at a party. And I said, uh, oh, I can't drink because of medicine I take. Because uh, I'm on the autism spectrum, and the medicine I take doesn't mix with this. And instead of saying, "Oh, come on, don't be," you know, he said, "How much can I cuss on here?" By the way, oh, um, pretty much because I do. Oops. <laughs> okay, okay. I just want to make sure. Uh, 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 just and so, like he said, there's a lot of autistic people in Washington. You should write something about that. <laughs> And he kind of, uh, and you know, he kind of continued to, to, to say I should. And then what happened is I was working, I was working at a National Journal at the time, and at the time I was a political reporter. I was an economics and politics reporter. I was happy to do that for the rest of my life. There's another universe where I just stick to that, and I'm happy. Don't get me wrong, but uh, but but. Then what happened was I was at National Journal and the print magazine decided to shut down. Uh, the, the, the owner decided to shut down the print magazine. And I pitched this idea to my editor, a guy by the name of Richard Just, who's an amazing human being. Uh, and he said, why should this piece exist? And I said, well, there's so much of a focus on trying to help autistic people, to, to like cure autistic people, not enough on helping them live more fulfilling lives. And uh, I really, and then he's like, there's your piece there, go. And then, like, there was just a lot of stuff in that article that didn't make the cutting room floor. He says, this would be great for a book. And I thought, maybe I'll write a book, you know. And then, like, uh, but then, like, I, but that was just, like, a long way away. And then, like, a friend of mine introduced me to an agent. And then she was like, you know, do you want to do a book? And I think initially, you can, you can attest to this. I think that, like, whenever, like, an autistic person is approached to a book about autism, it's almost always a memoir. And I don't... I don't hate memoirs, autism memoirs, like in principle, but I, mm -hmm. I felt like that's 
I grew up, I grew up in church. So like that, as they say in church, that's just not my calling, so to speak, you know, <laughs> uh, you, you know, um, and I think that my, that background as a political reporter, at the, around this time, you have to remember, Donald Trump was starting to run for president. Yeah. And if you remember, like, the second debate, he talked about, they asked him about his past tweets about vaccines and autism. And that was really, um, and, and then what that said to me is, look, look it's one way, Trump is Trump. Let's, sure. let's just get, but, like, there are a lot of people, including a lot of liberals, who felt the same way. I grew up in Southern California, so that's my background. I grew up in, so like, I know a lot of crunchy yoga moms who don't want to put toxins <laughs> in their kids' bodies, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, my – and then, like, the, the political reporter in me thinks, you know, um, well, if, like, you know, Donald Trump believes that, and there's a lot of people who, who are going to vote for Donald Trump uh, – you know, if the, the conversations we're having about autism seem to begin and end with vaccines, whenever we talk about autism in a political sense. Yeah. And that felt really divorced from what autistic people themselves. As a life, live yeah. And then I was just like, if, well, if we have bad information and we're, we keep on having these same discussions about autism, that must mean we don't have good policy about autism. So like, Again, the next step in a journalist's brain is like, well, what is it like to be autistic in America? And that's really what kind of was the catalyst for this. Catalyst, yeah. And and it's super useful. I, actually, by the way, you're going to really enjoy Davy's skit later, I think, okay. in okay. a lot of ways. Okay. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, and, and I have to give kudos to all of you. So Peculiars, I have to give kudos to Eric here because, to be honest, um, I was a late diagnosis person myself. I was yeah. in my 40s before. And then when I found out, I was just like, I just won't tell anyone. And so then yeah. I was talking to Eric. I interviewed Eric for a different podcast, the one that Davey um, edited for us for the Medical Humanities Journal. And Eric's like, well, you know, like us being autistic. And I was like, oh, I didn't tell you, though. How did you? <laughs> <laughs> He's like. Well, honey, we have like we have autism, dar. Like we, like, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. Like, and and so then I realized, oh gosh, why am I? I wasn't really even sure why I was hiding it. So that's why, as a host of the Peculiar Book Club, I was just like, hi, neurodiverse, uh, gender fluid. Y'all get your weird out, let your freak flag fly because we fleek. I meant freak, but you know what I mean. Freak, um, whatever. On fleek, I guess. Um, but anyway, come on and join us, and we'll be part of this big, weird, wonderful community. And so it's not surprising that actually, kind of a lot of our our members either are. Uh, autistic themselves know people who are autistic or are neurodiverse in other ways, ADHD, etc. Yeah. Um, and and so it's it's just perfect to have you on the show, and I I want to thank you. I also have to jump into our first question here. This is Leanne's. It's also Jennifer's question. So she asks, the goals of parents are different from the goals of advocates. Is this counterproductive? And then Jennifer says, I'm very interested in this question too. I found that really surprising because I feel like as a parent of a neurodiverse kid, my job is to help her gain independence and happiness. So, it, you know, how are these things not always working together? Yeah. So I think I should preface by saying like hashtag not all parents. Cause like, I think that whenever you talk about the, 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 the differences between parents and advocates is always like, well, I'm not like that kind of parents. So, so like, let's just preface that. Um, I think a lot of parents are conditioned by society 
and by the medical model of disability and autism to think that the platonic ideal, the thing to aspire to for autistic people is to make them act or behave more neurotypically. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think that, Jennifer and Leanne's point, the goal for a lot of autistic people is similar to the goal that a lot of disability rights advocates before them came. And we can go into why autism is, 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 you know, is a little late to the game. Autistic advocates are a little late to the game in a little bit. Their kind of goal is we should help autistic people. Like you said, gain independence and also happiness. Yeah. You know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, all that, you know, and I think to the point about independence, independence is that's interesting you mentioned independence because I think and this is sorry, this is a tangent, but I think this that is going to happen to both of us. <laughs> this is going to happen. Just, 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 just preface. The I think that because of the history of institutionalization for such a long time, I think that independence was defined as not being in an institutional setting or being stuck at home or whatever. Whereas I think that in my opinion, this is just one man's opinion. I think that independence in my opinion is the ability to create your own choices. Yeah, that's nice. So living with family does not necessarily mean someone isn't independent as long as they are able to come and go whenever they please, as long as they're able to pick their own job, control their own money, uh, you know, or if they have somebody who's like a representative payee, at least make financial decisions for themselves. That's what, that's where like supported decision-making comes in. We can go into that later. That's not a policy. As long as they're able to make their own decisions and have guidance and assistance around them when making decisions, but nobody's making decisions for them. Right. I think that's independence. That's, I think, a better model of independence. Yeah. Recognizing that interdependence is independence sometimes. I think um, so. It's interesting because I want to. I want to get to. This is a a point that I'm actually going to hop on to where she says, how do I reconcile the grief I feel for those lost years thinking I was a basket case as an autistic woman who couldn't even mask properly. I really grieve my misunderstood past. I'm bringing that up here because one of the things I really identified with is this concept that um, my parents were really well-meaning. They loved me. They cared for me. They wanted to be successful. But the refrain I heard all through growing up was don't be weird or at least don't be weird in public. Right. So don't talk about it. Or don't talk about it. And because I happen to have a strength for masking, uh, it's a strength of mine, I can do it pretty well. I think that I constantly was living under that mask and, and, and living out my life so that I was constantly performing. So it was always like, how yes. can I perform for my parents or for my school or for my friends or, you know, and there was this real sense that if you don't match that normality, you have failed. And so my yes. just trying to help me be well-adjusted in a world that isn't really made for us, which I appreciate. Yeah. That that's this, you know, there's a, there was a disconnect between what was okay to be like diverse and kind of strange. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it weird in a good, it weird in all the ways that I now think of as good. Um, and, and what meant functional. And I think um, it's, 
I have always had a real problem with terms like high functioning. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Because what does that even mean? You know? Yeah. So let's, you know, let's, let, let's, 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 I'll just address all this, like, because this is important, and I really want to get to this. This is really important. How do you reconcile the grief you feel for all the little stuff you're seeking your your fast case? I think the way that you do it is you, um, you don't blame yourself. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. Is you recognize that you were trying to fulfill, you were playing a role that was prescribed to you. But that you did not, you did not think that anything else was possible. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that there is, because we've for so long focused on curing, and that's really only changed in really like the last six or seven years. Autism yeah. Speaks only got rid of the cure part of its language. Right, in like right. 2016, uh, which is interesting because because Bob Wright is really good friends with Trump, um, uh, while Trump was spreading a lot of malarkey about autism. But uh, the point being is that you have to recognize that that was that was always an option for you, but it wasn't something that was offered. Yeah, and I think that. That is one of the things is that you can give yourself that room to breathe and grieve. And if you're going to get angry or grieve, get angry at the world around you because you don't have to beat yourself up. Recognize that we live in a world that doesn't understand us. What's funny is that like – is. Um, when I was reading older articles about autism from like the 60s and 70s, like I would hear the terms autism and childhood schizophrenia. I'd read them like come on almost interchangeably, you know, uh, because that was autism didn't get a separate diagnosis from schizophrenia until 1980. So like you had to think about it. So like if you are if you are autistic and you were born before 1980, you were automatically seen. That was the label. And of course, just because the DSM has it, doesn't things right. can't change and catch up. People probably still associated it with this with schizophrenia. I'm going to pop up Kathleen Richardson's point here because she was talking about the big, it's such a big deal with the categories and titles. Um, and it, it's, you know, what do you, how do you classify and what do you classify? I ended up with a, in a Twitter discussion. Never. Yes. Uh, you saw that, right? Um, where somebody yes, said, I did. See the point of diagnosing them. And I was like, well, in a perfect world that wasn't like antagonistic yeah. to people who had autism, you wouldn't. Yeah. Have- so, so, so th- th- this goes to, this goes to the argument uh, to the final point I was making is that I think that you owe it to your autistic loved ones to let them know as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, and you, you owe it to them to let them know that a they're not a flawed version or they're not a failed version of normal mm-hmm. but as soon as they can understand it let them know and then b say that this is the way you are uh, we're working to change the world around us to make it better for you and but we want you to know that you know life is going to be very different for you but mm-hmm. there are things that if, if you're a neurotypical parent which a lot of parents who think that they're neurotypical actually aren't aren't neurotypical, but uh, you know there's undiagnosed autistic. But like that, just like how I have certain things that aren't um, that 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 are challenges, but I also have proficiencies. You have those too. So 
That was real. So I think that's really important. Uh, and I should also say late self-diagnosis is also valid. Also eggs. So I should say that. Yeah. The mo- but, but, but overall, as far as the, 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 the thing is, so I think that, you know, some people think that, oh, well, labels hurt autistic people. Yes. And no. so like, I should say that like when I was, so like I got diagnosed in the 1990s, I'm 30, I'm 31. Um, uh, and, and you know, that label, there was still a lot of misunderstanding around the label of autism in the 90s. And that was also, I got diagnosed like a few years before Andrew Wakefield pulled out his bullshit study. You know, like, you know, and thank God that we didn't have the internet. Like, like the internet wasn't a big thing when my parents were raising this. Because then it would have been an, that avalanche of bullshit. And I can't, in a weird way, I don't, I don't envy parents. Uh, a lot now because you're you're inundated with bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, I I don't I I can't begrudge any parent who is just overwhelmed right now because there's so much bad information. Here it is. So much. Yes, uh, my half brother is born and was eventually diagnosed. She blamed the vaccines, though. I'm pretty sure all of her kids are on the spectrum or something. Yeah, like literally, there was one person who I met who you know, uh, Brady Aaron. There, there, or there. Uh, that they're non-binary. Uh, their parents blamed the vaccines for their daughter, for their for their kid being their, their child being autistic, and it wasted a lot of non-binary. Not, and also for and then blamed autism for making her non-binary, which is the other crazy thing. Like uh, she's yeah coming from every possible angle. Yeah, exactly. And, and like now you see, I mean, you see this as somebody who's kind of like goes between the two the, the two co- the two sides of the pond like a lot of turfs are like weaponizing autism now yeah uh, of course of course right because it, it can be i have a couple I, i'm i'm running behind on my questions here I, I know i've missed a few guys go ahead and re-add them if i've missed you yeah, um, yeah. for pierce says uh, speaking of grief i have a lot of guilt that despite my best efforts and a past as an rn i had no idea my kid could be autistic until she was 20 and i wonder if i could have saved her some pain and i know my my own mom when i finally came out as autistic had similar things yeah Yeah. so like the thing that i should also say is that like this is one of the reasons why i think neurodiversity is such a good concept about about accepting people is that it absolves parents of blame and it absolves doctors of blame and it absolves it absolves a lot because then what it does and again I'm, i'm bringing back my just because my mom growing up, I think a lot of people want to be want to be to be a minister. Uh, it's like it reminds me of that that verse of the Bible where it says like where Jesus sees a blind man and somebody says, "Who sinned to cause this guy to be blind?" He says, "Nobody sinned." And in the same way, I think that like what neurodiversity was so good about neurodiversity is that it says, "Okay, it's nobody's fault that somebody's autistic." Yeah, and we have been spending so much time. I I don't think it's about you. Sparing her pain. It's that you were just going with what you knew at the time. Right. And right. hopefully now, uh, you know, um, hopefully now we can do better. It's kind of like, you know, there's a lot of arguments. You see this a lot on Twitter right now. Uh, a lot of talk about the, the student debt cancellation. And everybody's like, well, I didn't have student debt. So, or, or like, I paid all my student debt. So like, I could do it. But it's like, oh, no, you should like, like, I don't want younger autistic people to suffer, you know? Just because I, I had trouble understanding was like if anything I wanted so like you don't have like self-flagellation isn't the way to go no no and, and, and like 
the way that you say it now is that like it, it, and the fact that you were an RN, I think also indicates that like, you know, because medicine has a lot of bad ideas about autism, it does. maybe that, you, you know, there was that label around it. So it just wasn't discussed as something that like you could live a good life and be autistic. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing that I would say is um, my, my, what I found out from my parent, my mother is that she it's not that she didn't suspect people had even suggested I be tested, but yeah, like oh no then this label you know of because she'd see rain man and she was like oh gosh she's going to be institutionalized it's not going to be able to live it you know yeah. so she's afraid of someone like taking me away and um yeah in a way it was a protection that she attempted yeah i'm not granted I'm, those, kind, I'm, those kind of those kind of deals that parents made with themselves are endlessly fascinating Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because like some parents did it so that their kids wouldn't be institutionalized. And that's yeah. one of those things of like, okay, on one end, they didn't understand themselves, but on the other end, they weren't institutionalized. Like, what, <laughs> which one was that's a, that's an impossible choice, mm-hmm. you know, uh, especially during, you know, pre 1990s. You know, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I was born in 77. And so, you know, when I was growing up, my mom was just like, shh, <laughs> we don't, yeah, about that kind of yeah, thing. Uh, um, which it, it, Kristen Meston was asking about your own uh, your own experience with your mom. She says you mentioned your mom helped advocate for you at community college, and she's asking like, how did you learn to self advocate when someone's advocate? How do you make that transition? You know. So so like it's funny because I was actually kind of the opposite that like I didn't want like I didn't want my mom to advocate for like I just didn't want any advocacy at all. I just wanted to live my life normally. So like I can't say that, but like I think the thing that I, that, that that you say is that like. You know, I'm happy to be there for you and I'm happy to speak up for you. And like, I do think that because of ableism, parents do have an important role because people tend to take parents more seriously, unfortunately. But so, but I do think parents have a role. Again, I'm not anti parent. Um, but I think that the thing that you say is that I'm happy to be there for you and, and be of service to you and help you as long as you need me. As law, but what I want you to know is that my choices, my advocacy for you isn't what I want for you. I want to know what you want. I think moving what you want for you. And I think that's the real important way to go about it. Yeah. Um, and I just re-advocating here that, that it's, it, you know, for so long, there was this concept that I, that you could be cured. And so of course, yeah. when, I, when I like got really good at masking, my parents were like, ha ha. Yeah, look what we fixed her, you know. Um, <laughs> right, she's fixed, she's done. When in fact, um, I'm just lucky. Like I have I have many, I, I know people who are nonverbal. I happen to be hyperlexic, which is the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh Judy was actually saying uh she wants to wants to know like you have people who 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 don't speak who are nonverbal and then you then then you turn around and have others who write a book i know that's really hard to understand because of course it's the same condition but it can have really opposite we can have really opposite yeah, yeah so 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 to the question of what happened to asperger's um Hans asperger was a nazi that's the short answer yeah that is the uh, short answer. <laughs> it's true um, right now <laughs> it, came, it came out that he was a nazi uh, yeah, because yeah, you're doing that whole thing about 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 that book about Nazism and and and, and Nazi Germany, uh, you, you know, and, and like some people say, oh, he wasn't a member of the Nazi Party, but like I'm like, I'm sorry, if you're sending kids to their death in a clinic, like you're a fucking Nazi. You're a Nazi. <laughs> I don't care what your card says, or if you have a card, you're a Nazi. So there's that. 
I think that I think that for a long time in Brandy, this was part of the. I felt bad that I didn't back you up as much and do that sort of conversation, but like I was working at the time, but like I wanted to. But like to the point, as I think that for a long time, I think a lot for a long time, people thought about autism, autism spectrum, as kind of like a scale or, or like you know like a continuum. We yeah. really, it's more like a color wheel, right? My tweet because I was like, think of the color spectrum, right? It's not from like yeah. not color to lots of color. It, it's it's different colors. And so, like some people, like like this is the point that I always make is that uh, one person who I interviewed was this young man by the name of Harry Street of Austin, who is not speaking, but recently graduated from uh, UCLA and is now going to grad school at Vanderbilt University. Mm-hmm. So like. Is he not low functioning or is he high functioning? This, this is why I'm not a fan of the term high functioning or low functioning because yeah. that doesn't, you know, just like not binary, you know, you can't fit into either of those. In the same way, like, you know, that doesn't fit. Whereas, like, one of the interesting things was um, there's one woman who I profiled, her name was Aria. Uh, and, and I just agreed to just use that pseudonym. Mm-hmm. And she said that, like, and like, she's married. She's speaking. She has children, right? But she couldn't graduate college, and so, and she's had trouble finding work. So, who's high functioning or low functioning there? Yeah, like exactly. on one end, you have somebody who cannot speak, but is clear, but can, clearly has mm-hmm. a capacity for intellect. Yeah. And then on the other end, you have somebody who I guess you could say could mask or pass as neurotypical, but has trouble maintaining employment and going to school. Mm-hmm. Are are either of them less autistic than the other, or more autistic than the other? Or less? You can't say that. You can't say that. No, like it, their autism manifests in ways. Was was about you know someone saying if they don't look like they're being autistic, then that means they're not autistic. She was basically thinking that a lot of girls were being misdiagnosed as autistic, which is exactly the opposite. It's the opposite. Statistics in the book. But she was basically saying, but she was diagnosed autistic and now she's stopped misbehaving. And I was like, well, misbehavior and autism are not the same thing. In fact, oftentimes misbehavior is a result of misdiagnosis because it's a desire to want to be understood. Right, right. You you know, a lot of, a lot of non-speaking autistic people engage in self-injurious behavior or biting or or, right. or, or other things because they're not being understood. And I think that well, the problem is that a lot of times we associate that as a symptom of the autism and therefore we pathologize it rather than seeing – and look, you, know, you don't see it as a, as, a, as a form of frustration. And like, mm-hmm. look, people don't like – you know, nobody likes when people throw a plate or injure themselves. That, that, that That's bad. What is that? But instead of focusing on what's the cause that we focus on the result of that, on the manifesting behavior. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm not so keen on that, on focusing on that. Joanne Rickard Hall, uh, who's a friend of mine, and I think her daughter's online too right now. So hi, guys. This is their first show. Um, she was saying regarding the lost years, along with the realization that my new of my t- new truth and diagnosis, it was almost more anger than grief, anger at how I was treated in my youth. And then grief for the loss kind of comes later. And I, I actually think that's really true because um, for me, it was more like a, 
I, I said this online yesterday and people really liked it, but I said, uh, the problem is that it looks like I'm just making decisions when I'm actually wrestling bears to be here. You know, yeah, people, exactly. <laughs> I was a People don't recognize how much more work it takes for us to do what we do. Yeah. I mean, I look so well, okay. I don't look that normal, obviously, <clears throat> but, um, <laughs> but you know, like I'm functioning out there in the world and people just don't realize that like as a child, I couldn't be put with other children because I would bite them. I couldn't, I'd figured out how to walk and talk by the time I was eight months old. I escaped from daycare so many times they wouldn't have me back. Um, like, you know, like I was a problematic little kid to deal with and no yeah. one knows that history. They just look at that and go, Oh, she's very well adjusted. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and like, but then also like one of the other things is that like whenever anybody says like, oh, uh, you know, I never want to guess you're autistic, my response is like, uh, thank you. It took a lot of work to like, you know, just put on this mask. Like, uh, like it's it, like I deserve an Academy Award for this. You know? <laughs> you, you know? um, oh, I have I have tons of more questions. Oh my gosh, you guys are amazing tonight. You're on fire. But first, we have a couple of things I want to show us. First, I, I did a little bit of a skit. For starters, um, but I, I feel like we need to save mine because Davies is so appropriate for this evening. <laughs> so I think we wow. should start with Davies' skit, and then I think we should have our little musical interlude. Then we'll be back for more questions, an additional skit, our quiz, so much more. We could probably talk all night. Uh, all right, that concludes my presentation on vaccines. Let's open it up for some Q and A. Yes. Hi. I've heard that vaccines can cause kids to grow tails? Wait, is this from a study somewhere? Well, I know someone whose kid has a tail. And did they get vaccinated? I don't know. No, vaccines don't cause kids to grow tails. All right, let's move on to another question. Hi, yes, I've heard that vaccines can cause chronic dry mouth. Are you sure your dry mouth isn't because you're shoving your face with crackers? Uh, probably. Okay. Next question. Yeah. Can vaccines cause your arm to fall off? What? No. What do you do for a living? I'm a lumberjack. Did your arm fall off perhaps in a lumberjacking accident? Yeah, but I also got vaccinated. Okay. Let's take one more question. What do you say to the reports that claim that vaccines make people cry uncontrollably? Are you... Cutting an onion during my presentation? Yes. Yes, I am. All right. I think we're good on q and I'm not sure you actually learned anything today. <laughs> Maggie, like, are Not you cutting an onion? For Maggie, yeah. her first skepticism. <laughs> So funny! I when I saw this, was the great. Oh my god, so good, so good. Yeah, we uh, wanted to put something together that really pointed out the the absurdist view of you know the different things vaccines. Can, can yes, yes, yes. By the way, we need to figure out a way to keep Brandy's camera live while the videos are playing because she was falling out of her chair. <laughs> I lose it. I lose it every single time. It was so freaking funny. That's great. That is great, Davy. Bravo, bravo, bravo. <laughs> If you haven't figured it out tonight, Peculiars, I think this episode's going long. We, there's yeah. so many great questions, so hang in there. We're, we see your questions. Yes. It's, so good. it's so good. Oh, my God. Um, so, And I'm, I'm trying to keep track of all y'all, but seriously, you guys, everybody, and, and there's Maggie for you, silver, sil, Silvery Blue Queen. You were amazing. The onion thing. I'm sorry. The onion where she's like... The onion part. 
duh. <laughs> of course I'm cutting up an no, onion. No, the lumberjack part, the lumberjack <laughs> part. That was pretty good too, I have to say. That was that was pretty awesome. All right. So I am I'm squeezing back up here to try and catch some of the comments uh that I oh my god, there's so many comments. <laughs> <laughs> You want me okay. to help? I've kind of been following along some of the questions. Help! Help! Okay. So uh, many things. I lost track. I was all the way up. I, I see there was some stuff by Cat up there. Uh, I'm just going to throw a, a few up here. Have, uh, are, are diagnosed ADHD when their children are diagnosed. Didn't realize with so many with all, yeah, like I'm half jokes that like uh we when like it should be like got buy one get one free that like when the kids diagnose autism that there should be at least a test for parents, you know, uh like cause it comes from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> or, or no, no, or like my favorite one. Sorry, sorry. Like, like we're just having fun right now. But like my favorite one is when like people are like, I don't know where my kid being autistic is this from. I was like, you know, and then like they mentioned, and like uh, uh, you know, I mentioned a few of the behaviors. Just like, well, their uncle was that way, and he wasn't autistic. And I'm just like, Uncle Dick, uh, Uncle Dick was autistic. He just didn't have the label. <laughs> label right right exactly and and actually the, this point about self-diagnosis yeah. is fascinating too because a, a lot lots and lots of people realize it late i actually saw a point uh somewhere here about i think it's from amberly about um oh there uh so i asked my therapist about getting an autism diagnosis he said there's no point in getting uh, a diagnosis as an adult and it, I think there's a point. Now, granted, it's harder to diagnose adults, it is, but it is. a lot of times they don't, they aren't covered under insurance. So, yeah. So it costs an arm and a leg, an arm that would fall off if you got a vaccine. Um, but uh, just a little hat to teach in there, Davey. But, uh, but uh, you, you know, I think that. So I think that there's merit if you want it. I think I, I think I think there is if you want there, it. There definitely well, are. Yeah. But I think that if you don't want a diagnosis, that's cool. Like if you don't feel like you need a formal piece of paper, but you recognize it as yourself, you know, like that's cool too. You know, it really just is a matter of like I, I think that like what do you see as the necessity of it? You know, like if you feel like it's just just so you know, so because some people might be, oh well, you I just need to know, you know. Um, other times, you know, you might need it for accommodations at work because sometimes you just need the piece of paper, right? Uh, but if you, you know, mm -hmm. if you if you already know and you don't necessarily need the accommodations, you just want that understanding and that self identifier. You know, that's cool too. You know, but like it really just is about whatever situation you're in. Yeah, actually, um, Maggie asked a question, uh, says, how do you deal with asking for accommodations, say, for instance, when someone thinks what you're asking for is a performance? And this is a question that's important to me as well, because because I was so good at masking for so long, when yes. I actually... I ended up writing for the Scientific American about it. I was like, all right, no one, all right, this is going full Scientific American public announcement of my autism because even my own family members would say things like, well, why are you acting this way now? Like they thought the autism was the performance because they didn't recognize that in fact yeah. asking was the performance and they don't necessarily want to accommodate you. Like, why should I behave any different with you now? I've known you for however many years. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me like, so like one of my friends, like when I went to college, he was closeted for a long time mm -hmm. and um, you know, 
New Britain College in the South, you know, where there's a lot of, you know, where there's like a hyper-masculine culture. Yeah. And then one of the things that I noticed is that like a few years after we he, he came out, like we would hang out, and I realized that he acted very differently. And the thing that I thought about is like, oh, that's that's who he is, you know? The guy, not to say that the guy who he was wasn't who I'm sure that there are parts of, you know, we all mask and put parts of ourselves into whatever persona. But like that person who I saw when I was in college, a lot of that was an act. Yeah. Whereas, and I think you and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. Once you recognize your, and you, you've you've actually texted me about this, like uh, so. So, like, spoiler, everybody, Brandy and I are actually friends. So, like, um, <laughs> like I think you texted me like a few months ago that you said like you feel less of a need to mask after you've already recognized your autism. Like, yeah. you just give True. less of a fuck. And, uh, yeah. and what's funny is that, like, I think that, like. Especially after having written about autism, like I feel less of a need to like mask that because it's like, okay, now when you Google me, that's the first thing you're gonna see. So it's out there. Like it's not gonna like there's no way around this thing. You know? So you might as well just embrace it. So to the to the to the point, like about uh masking for performance. I think a lot of that 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 goes to the point that I was that I that I make a lot of times, which is that a lot of times accommodations, that's the real problem with accommodations, and that's really kind of the problem. If I can get to the political part of this, is why my book is very inherently a political book. Yeah. <laughs> the American Disabilities Act is inherently a passive law. And what do I mean by that? There's no ADA enforcement agency. The, like, 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 you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know how that would even work. Like, uh, There's no dis- stop discriminating people police. Um, they're just- yeah, there isn't. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's not even like, you know, and that was, I should say, that was intentional to get Republicans to support it. It was a bipartisan bill. Um, because, so what that does is that it requires, it puts the onus on the person with the disability to yeah. ask for the accommodation. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And for something as diverse as autism, that could mean a lot of things. So there's no one uniform thing. So I think the thing that's really difficult is that a lot of times, like, like, cause a lot of people have asked me, like, how do I disclose? Should I disclose to my employer? And I'm always kind of like, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm always kind of like, depends, depends. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I do is I kind of like give people a vibe check uh, test, which is like, um, you know, if you can get into the building with a wheelchair, you know, that's, Maybe a good barometer. If there are a lot of women in leadership in an employer, is it, yeah, might, if it's not got access in some areas, it's not going to have access in other areas. Or basically. there's not even going to be that receptiveness to listen. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. autism is such a different thing that manifests in so many unique ways. And I would also say, if, if you're putting the onus on other on the person asking for the accommodations, uh, Joanna Rickard-Hall has, makes another point here. She says, I'm in my 60s, and I always got the, you never finished anything. Why did, you know, like, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. If you're yeah. asking the autistic or the disabled person to ask for the accommodations, then you're making them a problem. Like, oh, they're Yeah, not that's, the, that's the weird thing about the ADA and to a lesser uh, the ADA IDEA is a little different because it deals mostly with kids up to 21. Um, 
And for those who don't know, in, uh, the IDEA is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Um, so there is, and then there's, there, and there's a stigma, and I feel like people person of color that we don't have mental health problems to get mental health help. Yeah, so that's another, that's another element too, is that it puts, is that it winds up making, even though the ADA was meant to say yeah. that people with disabilities are not a problem, they are, they, they are parts of society. <laughs> They uh, I, 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 like I know I'm speaking like about American law, so apologies to all UK people. You know, I'm sure that there's similar there's similar difficulties or unique difficulties. In, you know, uh, social problems in, in other countries. The um, the thing of it is, is that it still makes them the problem by virtue of having to ask for the accommodations. It's interesting, like like you know. Uh, it, it, like, because uh, I wrote a piece for the Washington Post a year about a year ago, about um, about a year and a half ago, about because uh, like during COVID nineteen, a lot of restaurants to stay afloat did sidewalk dining, and that's really difficult for a lot of people with wheelchairs because of the ADA, they had to do that. The problem with it is that for a lot of is that for people with wheelchairs who want to like be able to get around. They have to file a complaint, yeah. you know, the DL or things like that, and that inherently turns into a problem when they don't because in, they live in that community, so they don't want to cause a nuisance. They don't. Nobody wants to be the person who files a complaint against everybody's favorite restaurant. Nobody, I know. This is, this is what is interesting to me about, um, so I'm a journal editor and then we are going to go to music. Sorry, I forgot. Yes. Um, <laughs> but this, I'm a journal editor. And one of the things we try to do is provide accommodations and accessibility, right? Yes. And what's interesting is I work for the BMJ and they'll say things like, okay, so you want to help this group of people. So we'll separate that. And I'm like, no, <laughs> the minute no. you start, they go over here in the category, right? That's and that's the problem is that we we don't have we have where we have accessibility in this country. We don't often have integration, and yes. um, that's a, a huge problem. That's both political and just experiential. But first, "Deep in the High" by Charming Disaster. Yes. Hello, we're Charming Disaster. Friends, family, peculiars, and esteemed guests, welcome to the Big Top. Our hero, the trapeze artist, is speaking offstage to the one-legged tattooed lady, his lover. Unbeknownst to them, his wife, the snake charmer, <clears throat> looks on. Give me a kiss. Before I'm to go, a lingering kiss to keep me warm. Pack your things and don't tell a soul, my clumsy dancer, my good love charm. I'll think of you when I'm high in the air. The things we'll do when we get out of here. The net stretch to catch me's the trap that I'm in. My future's in pictures all over your skin. Deep in the high that does nothing but fall. I swing on a wire high over it all. Look down at the sky and up at the floor. Deep in the high that does nothing but fall. 
wasn't back then when we first met you were so tender and sweet i cherish the memory words that you said to me you swept me right off my feet now i know a couple things there's a life in the ring then there's a life that you live you've grown cold and distant it's making me desperate snake charmer with the lazy green eye she's a hot-headed harpy with a murderous mind i've been in her coils for 10 years of my life a box on these rings which do nothing but bind it must have been madness when we were wed the liquor of passion gone straight to our heads ever since then there's been pain and regret Bile in our hearts and snakes in our bed. Snakes in our bed. It's my job. Deep in the high that does nothing but fall. We had our time, darling, that time is no more. Look down at the sky and up at the floor. Lazy Lothario Raptor. <laughs> You're a bastard. Self centered, ignorant, cheap, inconsiderate, two timing, impotent, layabout, flatulent, mama's boy, drunken disaster. You're a son of a Deep in the heart, it does nothing but fall. Deep in the heart, it does nothing but fall. 
<laughs> that is amazing. So Jarring Disaster is kind of our house band. Um, and, and we do have other bands that, that come on the show too, but I, I, I love them very much. Um, I was trying to catch up on some of the comments while we were listening to the song and there's, I'm going to just kind of consolidate a few of them. Because yeah. I think some are questions and some are comments. Several people talking about the difficulty, for instance, of, um, of let's say getting a PhD. I have a PhD. Yeah. Uh, and how brutal that can be for anybody, but then also you you take into consideration ADHD or. By well, the way, you should really have Devin Price on the show next season. Okay, who's which one? Like, send me an email about that because his um, book is yep. Unmasking Autism. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about no, that. No, no, never mind. Sorry, sorry, but, but, but yeah. <laughs> But it's very, very difficult work, you know, because you're, you're, it's already a very, very hard situation. Yeah. So we're talking about how hard it can be and how hard it can be when you can't get the people around you to see that your, your issues are actually, uh, yeah. autism and not because you're lazy and not because you're not paying attention, not because, you know, all of these different things. And it's funny because if someone comes in and says, I have diabetes or I'm fighting we cancer, take it you know, Right, right. Whereas if you say I have autism, yeah. you're like, well, do you have it a lot or just a little? <laughs> Again, functioning labels, all that, which is why functioning labels are bullshit. But, um, <clears throat> like, yeah, but, like, it's interesting because this is something that M. Remy, you're going to have discussed. It's like, it's almost as if um, – and they put it better than I can. And Emre Mirko, they're a professor at the University of Michigan, also a PhD, uh, academic, also somebody that you should have on the show. Um, so I'm just I'm just blowing up your your suggestions right here, but uh, but they said it's like it's almost by virtue of being at the university. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that you can't be disabled. And yeah, those two things it's almost cancel themselves out. Mm-hmm. Like there, oh, it, PhD, therefore you can have a PhD. Ergo, you must not be autistic. And this is another reason why I'm not a fan yeah. of functioning labels mm-hmm. because they create stigma. Because what they do is that they flatten the experience. Yeah. Because what it does, hey, function labels are a product of Hans Osberger and therefore eugenics and Nazis. Right. So like yeah. let's 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 <laughs> let's talk about what we're talking about. But like <laughs> who don't know just briefly partly what the high functioning but low functioning labels were were these are groups of people who were deciding who got to like live <laughs> um and who, and who was not considered you know adequate enough for society and so the, the, that's where the that's why the functioning labels are really problematic um just yeah. in case you don't know history life unworthy of life as they talked about in nazi germany and yeah it, it was literally like a label and the t4 broke in so there's that. And then B, I think what it does is that when you say that someone is high functioning, it says, well, we don't need to spend that much on them. And then what it does is it also says that because like also like let's be real, a lot of universities and higher higher learning institutions, they're strapped for cash specifically because we've never really funded disability education. So they're just feeling up, oh, if somebody's high functioning, we shouldn't spend that much money that would otherwise go to a more deserving more, more lower yeah. functioning or exactly. more disabled person. So what it does is our financial system system it works much the same way, right? It's like you know we we don't help lower middle class people. You either get help if you're upper or you're you've you're already destitute, right? We 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 tend not to pick people up in the middle. Yeah, exactly. So like that 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 is very much the case, which is why you know. So like I 
I, I went to school on Pell Grants. I had some loans. I paid them off last year, but like, I, but like, I don't have as many loans as other people do, you know, but like a lot of my friends, it was like, I guess you could say like we were lower middle class after my parents divorced. We, were, we weren't poor, but we weren't, you know, upper middle class. I've eaten uh, raccoon. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, like you and I have talked about the fact that you're from like working class, you know, America, but like, yeah, so so like, but the point being is that like in the same way, we don't have the um, we don't help a lot of those people who are quote unquote in the middle, or we think that just because they're in the quote unquote middle that they're not they don't need as many accommodations. Or they think like because you happen to have like a lot of spoons one day. Uh, uh, Rebecca talks about like weeping in the grocery store because you just it's just you've done enough. One day they Fuck meet it. you. And- you yeah. One day they meet you and you have all the spoons and you're doing really well. And then the next time they don't. I, I saw Philip's comment earlier about my wife wonders why I have these new behaviors after 30 years of marriage when I was diagnosed five months ago. My the lovely lovely um, lady pause who is who is my wonderful partner also is still learning new things about what I can and and what I struggle with and what I tend to have you know weird mental breakdowns about. Um, I just saw several of you mention phone calls and I've had to get over that one because yes. I have. To- that one's hard. That one's hard. It totally yes. is. Um, and then my other favorite comment, <clears throat> and and then actually we'll, we we can play this little clip that I did. My other favorite comment is all about um, how I've been told repeatedly, well, since you don't, you're autistic, you don't have emotions, so we don't have to be oh. careful with <laughs> Right? We don't have to be careful with yours. So I wonder if Davey, um, we might not play the whole long clip, Davey. We might stop it after that first section, but if you wanted to play the the funny Okay, funny you, you just wave your arms like this when you want me I'll to wave stop. This when it's time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, here's Brandy's sketch. Here's me. Hey, so you're autistic, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I am, I am. So you're like really good at art. You do art everywhere? Um, I'm autistic. Oh, so like Rain Man. No, no, not, not like Rain Man. I bet you're a savant. Are you a savant? Can you like... I don't know. Can you do like math in your head? It, it's not like, oh, so you can't do the special stuff. Cause I know some autistic people just have, you know, like they don't have friends, but th- that doesn't mean we don't have friends. It doesn't mean we can't have jobs. Some of us have highly relational jobs, like even work in medicine. Oh, so you are a savant. What? No, no. Okay. Um, so, so autism, it, it does mean that I, or I might do stimming or, or things that make it seemed like I'm not normal. Like you're not normal, right? Like it must be nice though not having emotions. Cause sometimes I'm like super emotional and I would love it if I was more like you and I just didn't have any. <clears throat> What's really funny though, is that you don't look autistic, you know? Like I would never have known. I look autistic, there's a lot to unpack because we don't look a certain way necessarily. Um, Oh, but you don't look people in the eye either. I, I remember that one. You know, you kind of look off at the side. There are things that are maybe harder for me than for other people. But I've learned to overmaster that partly because masking is something we learn how to do to make neurotypical people feel comfortable. And it's not just autistic people. It's people with ADHD. And other- you have ADHD too? I thought you only got one or the other. Oh my God, how do you function? <laughs> Hello, class. Welcome to... <laughs> it went on with uh, with me educating us, but I feel like all the education is happening here, so we don't need, we don't yeah. need the whole thing. 
The, yeah, it's just, I mean, in session, motherfuckers. <laughs> what I love is everybody, like, everyone was sort of like, they, you know, everyone who watches this, when it gets to the emotion part, they're like, that, right? That one! That, that one right there! Oh, my God, yeah. Because um, <laughs> it's the exact opposite! Yeah, it is, actually. Because a lot of times, you know, you're you're putting on certain behaviors to help other people feel comfortable, yes. which is me worrying about how other people approach me and think about it and, and et cetera. But um, I made that skit partly as a joke, but partly because it, it really is true. And it, it hurts. I have all kinds of emotions all the yeah. time. They just Same don't here. look like what people what people th- by the way mike says eric best guest ever is it the language is that what you're reflecting on there mike <laughs> um yeah anyway i've lost track of questions again davy i don't even know where I'm- maybe it's time to go to a quiz i'm just i think all- it's time I'm to not- quiz our guests yeah we'll okay. see if eric's really the best guest ever how he does on our quiz right here now you're gonna quiz and i'm gonna hide i'm gonna i'm gonna disappear now so. so eric now i i'm pretty sure that most of this a lot of this book you talk about one of your loves which is music Yes, yes. So I thought I would pull from that because the uh, the music world does have some people that are openly open with openly talk about autism and being autistic and when they were diagnosed. Yes. So our quiz is about that, but our quiz is not about their autism. Our quiz is about their music. So this okay, quiz yeah. is called "I Want to Rock." So right. um, I actually I accidentally pulled someone from the seventies, eighties, and nineties. So we're starting with the nineties. Travis Meeks, the lead singer and guitarist for the rock band Days of the New, uh, which was a rock band in the 90s, loves playing this brand of acoustic guitar. And I looked up, these are some of the top acoustic guitar brands. Yes. I don't know if, I don't know if you know your guitars, your acoustic guitars. Is it a Taylor? Is it a Martin? Or is it a Gibson? What I'm do you just think? Guess. I'm, I'm going to go with a Martin. Let's go on the Martin. Peculiars, what do you think? I will tell you that this guy loves acoustic guitars. Um, acoustic guitars are more musical, he said. They're not all covered up by different sounds and distortion. Of course, uh, we put distortion on our guitars, but I like to go make campfires and sit out by the water and play his acoustic guitar. So uh, we got a bunch of different guesses here. The answer is actually A. The answer is a Taylor guitar, which... I was scoring between the two. According to articles, is the top acoustic guitar brand. Yeah, so like... I played because, like, I recently acquired a, a you know, a, a, an acoustic, a, a new, and I, I got a Gibson, but I was torn between that and a Martin. So, like, you there know, you but go. I like Taylor's. I really like Taylor's. I don't have a problem with it, but like, uh, there's something like, I mean, if you, to me, if you like, if you're thinking about like, if you close your eyes and you strum one chord and you think about a guitar, I think it's you'll, uh, it should be a Martin D18. That's just me. You know, I can go. play, I can play the radio. That's that's about it. Maybe yeah. I mean, Eric, maybe a future musical guest on the show as well. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Maybe, so yeah. that was the nineties. Uh, Travis, I believe was diagnosed as a child with Asperger's. Yes. Um, we'll go to question. We'll go to our eighties question here. Now, David Byrne, who is the lead singer and guitarist for the band talking heads is self-diagnosed, uh, but he's yes. talked about it openly a lot in recent interviews. Now he is one award away from an EGOT, which is the the epitome of award season, right? The Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and yeah. Tony. What is he missing, though? Is he missing the Tony? Is he missing the Oscar? Or is he missing the Emmy? I'm going to say he's missing the Oscar. 
He's guessing missing Oscar. What do you think out there, Peculiars? Do you think which award? I mean, he's three. He's got three of the four for an EGOT. That's pretty impressive there. And I'll tell you what it is. Everybody's guessing B. He hasn't been in a movie. That's what they're guessing. The answer is actually Emmy. Emmy, remember you can really? win. An, you can win an Oscar for soundtrack for songs and yes. movies, right? I so figured he, he probably got an Emmy for 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 a music video he did or something. I was yeah. I was no, we got to get him on TV somehow so we can complete this egot. He yeah. uh, he won uh, the Oscar for the Last Emperor. Uh, yes, best original score for the Last Emperor. Um, one's great and one Grammy. Won a Tony recently in 2021. He Bye, won a Jennifer. Tony for American Utopia on Broadway. <laughs> Jennifer's got to go. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, yeah, this is a long episode, Peculiars. We appreciate you hanging in there. All right, we're going back to the... Well, this band's really the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. Uh, we're talking about Jefferson Airplane and yes. Jefferson Starship and Starship. Uh, one of their, their lead singers and guitarist, Marty Balin, uh, wasn't with the band when it finally achieved a number one song, which was when the band was known as Starship, uh, yes. with We Built This City on Rock and Roll. Uh, they actually had three number one hits. We built the city, Sarah, and nothing's going to stop us now. However, when Marty Balin, who uh, is open again about being diagnosed with autism, talks about it a lot. Uh, when he was with Jefferson Airplane slash Starship, what was the highest charting song with him? Was it, oh, and now she's covering up. My answers, was it White Rabbit? Was it Count on Me? Or was it Miracles? What do you think was the highest charting Airplane slash Starship song? I mean, I fucking love White Rabbit. And when I was in a band, we used to do a cover of White Rabbit. So I'm just going to go with A. It's going A, White Rabbit. Peculiars, a lot of A's there. A lot of 60s rock fans. All right. The answer is Miracles. That was the one I was thinking of the second one. Like, just, yeah. yeah. Oh, Miracles so made it to number three. Yeah, like this is the U.S. Chart. I should have I should have specified for our I'm UK taking, listeners. This I'm was the U.S. I'm chart. On this. Yeah. Um, Miracles made it to number three. Count on Me made it to number eight on the charts, and White Rabbit made it to eight as well. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. Some rockers that yeah. have autism but can really rock. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I always love our quizzes, though, because our quiz three strikes, I'm out, says Stephanie. Don't. <laughs> that was a tough quiz this week. I mean, that, that was, was tough. That was tough. But I wanted to make it about their music. because uh, Yes. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. This is amazing. Um, I, and everyone's everyone is agreeing that it's amazing. I have so many autism stories. I have so many stories I want to tell. But it is like 8.07 already, and I know we're running close to time. I do have some announcements I have to share with all I just, of you. I want to say, because we didn't get to all their comments, but they have had a fantastic conversation in the chat. Yes, and, it's been so good. And we appreciate all the back and forth and the support you've shown so each other in the chat and answering each other's questions. So congrats to you, Peculiars, for a, a great sideshow to I the main show. The, the, the Peculiars, are, I have to say, this is what makes this club unique and special and amazing, which is it's made by those of you who come, um, that, that come all the time, that subscribe, that are part of our big family, part of our VIP newsletter for those of you who are subscribers. And in fact, I have a couple announcements about that. I, Davey, did you get those two? Yeah. yeah. It's true, Rebecca. You guys are the shit. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we have going on is uh, I've started selling half-season subscriptions. We have some new people who have come along and asked if they could uh, buy half-seasons. 
which would entitle you to some of our extra shows, green room time, meeting with the authors, uh, shaping the club, getting a free t-shirt. Do you have that slide up there anywhere? Uh, I do not. Uh, okay. Hang on. Oh, we'll find it. We'll find it. <laughs> it's on our Facebook, guys. It's on our Facebook. Um, Absolute Units, says Amanda Johnson. We have to use that every single time. You know, guys, we can't have a show where we don't use the words Absolute Unit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yes, I, I definitely want us to try and, um, and, and see if we can bring more people in, allow them to come in as, as subscribers. So the half season is available. It's $55 and they get a t-shirt and they can, they can come to the extra shows and stuff. Of course, our shows are generally free and by no donation, uh, outside of the extra shows, but, um, you also get subscribed to the VIP newsletter and other things, which you don't normally uh, get a chance to do otherwise. And the other thing I want to mention is I have a friend who's got a cool art show coming up. And I just thought of you guys because it's um, her name is Arabella Proffer. If you don't know her, you can follow her on various social medias and on Instagram. She is an artist here locally in Cleveland. She did a book called The Restrooms of Cleveland, which was hilarious and awesome. There are so many weird bathrooms in this town. Um, but, uh, but the other thing that she does is art. And these are her pieces of art. She's doing an online show that is like a digital show where you can just like we are uh, an online club you can actually go to like a digital sort of version of a museum and and see some of her work um she also sells these as prints and other things and i believe we have some uh http kind of things we can put up for you guys to follow so if you're interested at all the shows in november it's just cool, funky stuff. She does another group of paintings called Biomorphics, which have vaguely squid-like qualities. And so when I saw that she was doing a show in November, I wanted to make sure to get the word out. So her name again is Arabella Proffer. Uh, she's a, yeah, Frida Kahlo vibes, definitely. Um, she She's a good friend of mine. She also uh, has a lot to do with medicine. She is a cancer patient. She actually has terminal cancer at the moment. Um, but she's done a lot of paintings related to amputation and medicine and things like that. So it's, it's very cool. I hope you guys can, um, can check it out. Uh, okay. Did we get that? Great. The other thing I have to say is that, um, we have two giveaway t-shirts today and, uh, it just so happens that one of them is, um, it actually just popped up in the chat here. We do these, um, sort of by random drawing. So Chris Yetman is actually one of our t-shirt winners. So Chris, if you want to get back to me, uh, you'll have to send me an email on my, um, to my email address, and then I can get your information to send you a t-shirt. It's the t-shirt that has the Nautilus on the front. It's this peculiar book with a bloody club because, you know, um, and our other uh, winner was Fiona Jane Brown. Fiona Jane Brown, if you are watching, I haven't seen you pop up in the chat yet, but I know you're here somewhere. Um, you need to let us know and I will get you a t-shirt as well. Amanda Johnson is asking about season four. I have announcements, not quite ready to make them yet, but um, but it's, it's very exciting stuff. This is, We are selling half season, half season three subscriptions, season four, not yet, but it's soon. It's soon. Okay. Oh, it's you. It's you. It's history coin. Goodness me. Awesome. So you need to send me an email too. And then you guys get t-shirts. So woot. Everybody gets a t-shirt. <laughs> um, I think that's all of my announcements. Oh my gosh. You guys, I really need to write these things down. <laughs> I know. I know the anticipation is killing me too. You guys are not going to believe who I have coming on the show in season four. It's so exciting, but haha, you have to wait. <laughs> I'm I'm still excited for some of the books we have coming up for season three. I, I mean, the half season subscription. You really, we have books on death, on sex, on ghosts, on I 
Oh man, Death, so much. sex ghosts. You know, I mean, Some there's old favorites coming back. Yeah, <laughs> we do, we do. Um, and uh, oh yeah, season three tease. Thank you for reminding me. I love it how you guys are reminding me of the announcements I'm supposed to be giving you. Um, we also have season three T-shirts available, and you can purchase them. They're really cool. They have the murdery grumpy puss on them, the octopus with the murdery stuff uh, that you guys helped design because it was your ideas. Um, forgetting to write things down is such a mood, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's actually it's it's, also, it's, it's autism culture. I'm like, I'll remember that. I have a photographic memory. Um, so yes, please join more, Samantha. I hope you will come up. We have lots of sex coming up sex for some. Ghost. I did not yep. know sex this, ghost. That's, no. sex that's and ghosts. Right. And, um, and Haley Campbell, she's the daughter of the illustrator for From Hell, written by Alan Moore, and uh, is friends with Neil Gaiman, wrote a book about Neil Gaiman. She's going to be on next. Someone's yeah. drag racing. That was a motorcycle. That was a motorcycle <laughs> like, in, like next to my apartment. <laughs> just like, that was a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> excited dance fueled by cocktails and sugar and and lots of things it says cat going on um neil gaiman is fab he's he's great we've asked him on the show and he always very politely declines but don't worry i'm going to keep asking him uh because it would be fun to have him on and um anyway that's i think that's everything you guys it was so wonderful to have you here stay weird stay awesome stay great stay autistic be you Thank you, Eric, for joining us. And uh, thank all of you for having a wonderful chat. It's been amazing to just keep track and, and watch you go. Thank you mwah, for being part of a place where, if you're weird, you're family. You got the blue bottle blues when you wake up in the night. Don't make a big mistake because you can never make it right. When you reach out for the phone. Oh